All right, we are in Exodus chapter 30. We are back to the construction phase. And you're going, no, 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 no. We were out of the construction. We were making clothes for the priests. Now, I promise you this makes sense because the stuff we're going to get built today doesn't make sense apart from the work of the priests. So something to keep into the back of your mind this morning. Do you know what one of the strongest memory triggers for humanity is? Sense of smell. You will forget things that you have heard. You will forget things that you have learned. You will convince yourselves of things that you have seen, that you have seen them wrongly. You will change the colors in your mind. You know what you will never get rid of? That smell. Doesn't matter what it is, you have all smelled something. And the minute you ever smell it again, you immediately know where you were, what you were doing, and why you have smelled that before. Don't know what it is, but for some odd reason, you get something into your nose, and it will stay there forever. God is a God of order and detail. Therefore, he leaves no stone unturned, and no I undotted, and T uncrossed. And we will see that with the construction project in Exodus chapter 30. So again, we have 38 verses to try to fly through today. So instead of reading it all and then going back through, we will continue on and just go through it one time. Sound good? All right. In that case, let's dive right in. Moreover, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. Now remember, this makes sense here. The priest has been called. He has been out, outfitted. I almost said outputted like he's a shot put or something. That wouldn't work. He has been set apart. Now it is time to get into everybody's head. And and I'm serious about that. I mean that figuratively to make sure that Yahweh is all-consuming in your mind, but I also mean it literally. The best way to make sure something is all-consuming is to do what? Make sure something is all-consuming. That's where this is going to come in. So we have an altar for burning incense of acacia wood. Its length shall be a cubit. It's with a cubit, and it shall be square. Its height shall be two cubits. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and its sides all around, and its horns you shall make a gold molding around for it. This would not be very large. You're talking about one and a half by one and a half by three. So not terribly large. Something we've covered a few weeks ago. What did we notice about the material that we were covering everything in as we moved away from the Holy of Holies? Do you remember that? Everything in the Holy of Holies was covered in what? Gold. As we moved away to the exit of the tent of meeting outside the tabernacle, what was everything covered in? Copper, bronze, less precious materials. We're talking about there's a lesson here. The farther away from God, the less important. The closer to God, the more important. You can apply that to your life as you see fit. I think you're smart people and you can handle that. So is, where does this get put in that sliding scale? We're on the much more important side here, aren't we? Why? Because we covered it in what? Covered in gold. This is, this is something, something important here. You shall make two gold rings for it under its molding. You shall make them on its two side walls on opposite sides, and they shall be holders for poles which will carry, with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Like all the other furniture in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting, in the Holy of Holies, what is one of our primary concerns? That we can pick it up and move it the right way. Remember, everything here, this is one of the things that we can't lose sight of because this is not camping the way we think of camping. Like you go, when you set up camp, when you go camping for the week or for the weekend, how many times do you want to redo that tent? (laughs) I want to put it in place and I want to leave it there until when? It's time to go home because I, I don't want to be sitting here taking this thing down, moving it. To, so before, so if, if you're not on like an actual campsite that you paid money for, if you've ever actually gone and set up a camp in the woods somewhere, what do you spend the most time doing? Picking a site because I don't, I'm not putting this puppy in the wrong place to have to redo it later on. The tabernacle takes that idea and goes, <laughs> because we're wandering in the wilderness. We are not into the lands that God has promised. Therefore, we are on the move, which means for all this ornate detail, for all of this beauty and detail that has gone into this, we have to be able to tear it all down, move it, and then set it right back up the exact same way. This is not 
permanently put in place, teaching Israel and thereby all the people of God an important lesson found in Deuteronomy 31. Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. How can Israel sit there and say, well, I know God is going with us into this promised land. Well, I can look back at the wandering in the wilderness and see what? That he literally went with us. That his tent His service, his offering, all of those things went with us everywhere we have gone. There was never a place Israel went and God stayed behind, or God went and Israel stayed behind. He was with them because they were his people. He was their God. So, you shall put this altar in front of the veil that is near the Ark of the Testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is over the Ark of the Testimony where I will meet with you. So, in other words... This altar is at the last stop before the Holy of Holies. So as you walk into the tabernacle, if, you're, um, if you have a study Bible, you probably have a little outline of this. I need to try to get that into your Bible next week. I, I, my brain goes, well, I'll hold it up in mine and you'll be able to see it. It's this big. That would do you how much good? I mean, exactly. I would hold it up. Yeah, look, it's, can't you see it? So as you go in, it is the last thing that you would walk past before you entered into the Holy of Holies. More importantly, though, that airflow is going to pull this this altar that's burning things where? Where is that scent going to go? Everywhere. It's going to fill that whole room. Remember this as we move forward. Verse 7. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Here's your first lesson. Why is this a perpetual offering? Because we're teaching something about who? Teaching something about God. Hebrews chapter 7. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is talking about the work of Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. Why are your prayers heard? This is, this is one of those lessons to make sure you always put into your head. Are your prayers heard because you're good? No. Are your prayers heard because you offered a really, really good one that day? No. <laughs> no. This is why I always tell people, look, don't worry about it, pray. This is, the, this is part of the lesson of Matthew 6. What's the lesson of the Lord's Prayer? It doesn't matter what words you repeat. It doesn't matter if you stand on your head, if you dance a jig, if you spin around 17 times, click your heels and say, there's no one like God. That's not what makes your prayer good. What makes your prayer good is Christ. Christ makes your prayer good. Just like what makes you good. Remember our big fancy theological terms. You have an imputed righteousness. Your righteousness is alien to you. It does not originate from anything about you. You are good because as you have repented of your sins and trusted in the work of Christ, his goodness, his righteousness has been given to you. Likewise, your prayers are good because it is Christ who receives them and offers them on your behalf to the Father. A work that he is doing how often? constantly welcome to why the incense the smoke from the incense is to burn how often constant it's a reminder that as our prayers go up to god he is a god who is with us and who hears us that as his people called by his name there is never a time when he is beyond our reach and beyond our words and beyond our worship that we are always capable of entering into his presence it also reminds us about the work that is being done first peter chapter 3 and file this one away because we're going to come back to it christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to god having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in spirit in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of god kept waiting in the days of noah during the construction of the ark in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through the water corresponding to that baptism now saves you. Calm down, Baptist. There's another clause. 
Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. File that one away. We're going to come back to it, so we're not going to spend a ton of time right now. Your baptism doesn't wash you clean. It's a symbolic act demonstrating that who washes you clean? Christ. And that my appeal to his work is good. My appeal to his work is being demonstrated. Welcome to what the incense is supposed to show. That our prayers, the work of God, not only our offering going up, but the work of God also coming down. This is a reminder for the people always, because why are they a people? This is good for them and for us, Christian. Why is Israel a people? God set them apart, redeemed them from Israel, has provided for them and secured them. Christian, why are you a people? What, what connects the American Christian with the Canadian Christian, with the Mexican Christian, with the Afghani Christian, with the Chinese Christian, with, you know, the whatever? What makes us the people of God? Christ. Christ connects us. Other than that, what in tarnation do you people have in common with each other? I mean, I'm serious. I mean, I've, I am from New England, of all the weird places on the planet. I was born and raised for eight, nine years in New England and then moved to the rural south. I don't belong anywhere. And I live in the Midwest. I don't belong anywhere. Where are you from? Literally nowhere. <laughs> and yet I, I have a nation. I have a group that is my people. Why? Because in Christ, I am joined to those who are also in Christ. They are my brothers and my sisters. No matter where they're from, no matter what their culture is, no matter what language they speak, they're my people. And I am their people. <sighs> I've been granted this, not because of me, but because of who Christ is. That's part of the symbolism here. Air, I'm sorry, skip a verse. <gasps> Can't skip a verse. You shall not offer any strange incense on this altar or burnt offering or meal offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. And by the way, God is really, really serious about this. Um, Leviticus chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord. There's always a commandment, right? There's always a command from God, like don't do that thing. A strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Like literally one book beforehand, they're the ordained priests, sons of Aaron. They're going to offer the sacrifices to redeem the people. Yeah, God's not playing here, folks. Which is an instructive thing for worship. Who is your worship about? God. This is why I've used this example before. I have been in churches that have used piano and organ. I've been in churches that have used band. I've been in a church that had a harp player. She played harp and her husband played a banjo. You want to talk about bizarre musical tastes. Classical music, I mean, literally bluegrass. And you know what? Some of it I really enjoy and some of it I don't. You know how much of it's bothered me as worship? None of it. Because the music is supposed to be for God, not for me. There's stuff I like better than others. There's stuff I prefer over others. You know what I care about when I walk in here? Let's praise God. Because that's what worship is about. Not me, not you, him. And that is going to be my argument. What kind of music do you like in church? The kind that praises God. And that's going to be my answer until the end of time. If it's ever not my answer, go get one of the hymnals or a Bible and start chucking them at me, okay? Because something has gone terribly wrong and we need to get back onto the right track. So, God's serious about this. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. He shall make atonement on it with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. In other words, even the altar needs to be cleansed. Everything about this sinful world needs to be cleansed. Psalm chapter 5. You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord hates the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. In other words, God hates all sin. What do I commit? 
But by his mercy, by his grace, because of his abundant loving kindness, I can enter into his house. I can worship. I can stand in his presence. And I can rejoice because I am cleansed. This is what Israel is supposed to be learning. That's what all of this construction is about. That's why the priest who does enter in, all of his garments, they're marked how? All those jewels symbolizing what? The people. He goes in. He is atoned for. He is making atonement for them. But he doesn't go in for himself. He goes in for the people of God so that they would not be forsaken, so that they would not be forgotten. And we've talked about this. Does the blood of that lamb, the blood of the bull, the blood of the, blood of the goat, does any of that actually forgive anything? No. Which means you're offering it in obedience with the hope of what? That God does forgive. That God does forgive. That's the lesson to Israel. It's not their sacrifices that saved them. It's not their obedience that saved them. It's their trust in the work of God that saves them. Christian, you ever sat there and had that thought? And yes, there's an answer, and no, we don't have time today, sorry. Have you ever sat there and had this thought, like, how does Christ's death actually save me? You never had that thought? You guys aren't that industrious as thinking? <laughs> Recognize that what covers you is that God's sacri- the sacrifice of Christ is to appease God. It's the propitiation for God's wrath. It's what turns away the judgment and wrath of God. What saves you is God. This is one of the, the pillars of the Reformation. We've talked about this before historically. Our five solas of the Reformation, the thing that separates biblical faith from you know, non-biblical faith. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, sola scriptura, sola Deo gloria. Sola Gratie, solo gratie, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as taught by Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. What saves you is God. Your trust that His promise, His work is sufficient. Gee, I wonder what Israel is supposed to be learning here. That as their offerings go up, as their prayers go up, as the sacrifices are given, it's not their prayers that are good, it's not their sacrifices that are good, it's not their work that is good, it is God that is good, always and forevermore. And their trust is not in all of this, their trust is in all of Him. That's the lesson here. The Lord also spoke to Moses saying, when you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them so that there will be no plague among them when you number them. (laughs) This is one of those verses that you read and you're just like, I didn't even think that was a possibility. Like if, if you were sitting there going, let's see how many Israelites are here. Would you be like, don't do that. God will send a plague. Like, was that your first concern here? Apparently, it's supposed to be. Now, why? Why, 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 why? I actually think we can use historical evidence and a little understanding about humanity to make sense of this so that we can understand it further. So this actually happens in Israel's history. If you don't know your Old Testament history... 1 Chronicles 21 is one of the places it's recorded. Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. This is at the end of David's life. He sins against God, and we're not told how this is is a sin against God, but he sins against God by taking a census of Israel, by counting the people. And so the plague comes down. David is given options on what, do you want to fall into the hands of men? Do you want to fall into the hands of God? And David goes, there's mercy with God, so I will take God's judgment for a thousand, Alex. Which, we gotta, we're going to have to change that, aren't we? Have they picked a new guy yet? Does anybody know that? I mean, I just pop quiz here. I, don't, I thought they picked a guy, and then I heard they fired him. So I'm just, it's Alex Trebek until the end of time, right? That's just, we're just going to stay with that. So yeah. So David picks God because there's mercy with God. There's hope for overcoming the plague with God. But why is it a sin to number Israel? I think we can explain this with some history. You ready for some fun uh, 20th century history to help give you an explanation? I have a quote here from Yuri Bezmanov. You guys know Yuri, right? No. <laughs> You're like, ah, oh, Yuri. All right, no, 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 you don't. He was a Soviet defector um, in the uh, mid-'80s was part of their propaganda campaign and and the usurpation of American values. That was one of his jobs. Here's his quote. 
They are programmed, he's talking about us, by the way. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind even if you expose them to authentic information. Even if you prove that white is white and black is black, you cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. A person who has been demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell him nothing. Even if I shower him with information, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him a concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he receives a kick in his own bottom. (laughs) He's talking about who lies to you the most. You do. You lie to you the most. You convince yourselves of the things that are true because once you believe something, it takes way too much work. Now, the reason why I think this helps explain is because sin corrupts. Sin corrupts completely. And as we talked about earlier, how many new things under the sun are there? There's nothing new under the sun. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the call, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, now that you have this as a foundation underlying you, let's understand some history for Israel. When has Israel, at this point, been a mighty nation? Well, but who, I mean, really, what nations have they conquered? What boundaries have they established? Nothing. They're wandering around the wilderness building tents. They're going to celebrate one of the feasts is the, is the Feast of Tabernacles, where, so they can be reminded that God preserved you in the middle of nowhere in tents, because that's not supposed to work. And it did because of God. Before they were in the wilderness wandering around, where were they? Slaves, Slaves in Egypt. So let's take a nation that has spent generations. You're talking about going back 400 years to the promise given to Abraham to be a great nation. 400 years of being downtrodden, being small, being under attack, being enslaved, being less than. And now suddenly we're free. And now we're going to count everybody and we're going to realize that in spite of all of that hardship, there are literally millions of us. Who are we going to start to trust in? Us. Look at us. We're a mighty nation. We've got young men to go into battle. We've got resources to build a tabernacle. We've got, look at us. This becomes the problem. You're no longer following after God. You're following after you. Because their sin is a part of them. They are, we've seen, and we've seen this throughout the Exodus. They know God will provide. He sent the plagues upon Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He protected them. He has guided them. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. They're overgrown toddlers on a road trip. We've talked about this. They get five minutes and they can't trust in God for anything because sin corrupts all of them. Start counting them. Start making them realize that eyes are being opened. As Yuri talked about, they got their kick in the butt and realize that we're a nation. We're a mighty people. We can go do, oh, 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 time out, buddy. Au contraire, mon frère. You need to be trusting not in you, not in your numbers, but in God. That's why there needs to be a ransom paid, because there's going to be a spurring up of pride, a trust in self, an idolatry of their own greatness. And they must be reminded that that is not how they are supposed to walk. So what shall we offer, you may ask? This is what everyone who is numbered shall give. Half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. Of course, you all knew that. Half a shekel as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord. The rich shall not pay more, and the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel when you give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. All right, be honest. How many of you thought it was going to be money? How many of you would be like, it's, they're going to have to pay like cash for this one? Because every other sacrifice has been what? Blood. Blood atonement. Why are we paying money? Are we bribing God? No. No, we're not bribing God. We're learning a lesson. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because with this counting, 
There's going to be a, a reminder of something else. In the wilderness, God fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Remember, when they had to assemble all this gold and all this fine material and all these things for the tabernacle, where did they have it? <laughs> I was like, what is that one? <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> where did all this stuff come from? God, they had it because God apportioned it to them from who? The Egyptians. Before they left, after the death of the firstborn, they're like, hey, we're leaving, but before we go, could you, you mind like, you know, paying us? <laughs> and the Egyptians were like, take everything as long as you leave. Just go. You don't got to go home. You just got to get up out of here. Go, go somewhere else. I don't care. Take whatever you want off the walls. Just leave. And so now God calls them to bring forth gold and silver and bronze and fine material and gems and precious stones. And they're like, there you go. We, I mean, we got this stuff laying around. Again, you start counting everybody and realizing how many of us there are. You start realizing how rich your neighbors are and you start realizing who's in charge around here. No, you're not, but you start to think that you are. That's why they pay. It's a reminder that no, God has given me this, and therefore I owe this to who? God to return. Now, that's the first part. There's a second part. You shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. It is also a provision for who? For the priests, the people doing the work of the tabernacle, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance. We talked about this last week. The Levites don't get land. They get some cities. They get some farmland around the cities, but that's about it. Every other tribe is going to get territory, a place to establish, a place that will be returned to them at Jubilee, a place that they will always be able to call home. The Levites don't. The Levites get something better. They get God. That's their inheritance. That's their security. So part of that is they get paid. They're going to get to eat the meal out of the work of the sacrifice. They're going to be provided for by the offerings, and they're going to be paid because part of that work is to, for the upkeep of everything, which is going to cost money. They'll now have it to distribute it and to make repairs as needed. So, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. So notice we're no longer gold, we're bronze, so you should be able to tell yourselves, are we moving towards or away from the Holy of Holies? We're moving away. We are between, we're, we're past that big bronze-covered altar for burnt offerings, but we're before the tent entrance. Make sense? So there's the courtyard, there's the big bronze burning altar, and then there's this thing before you go into the tent. Again, my, my temptation is to flip this over and show you the picture in my study Bible, like it's going to help. And I have tried to put pictures up here. They end up doing the same thing. They go up on the screen this big, and it's just a waste of time. So you just have to get a good study Bible and trust yourselves on that one. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet from it. When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up in smoke a fire sacrifice to the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they will not die. And it shall be a perpetual statute for them, for Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. God's serious about this. You notice the repeated phrase? So they will not Die. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't so they'll have clean hands. This is so that they will not die. Now, let's get this right, because this is important. Does the water cleanse them? I mean, physically, if you got dirt on your hands and you wash your hands with some water, there will be less dirt on your hands, right? But spiritually, I, I washed my hands. I, are you going to go, we'll use our bad example again, you're going to stand before the pearly gates and go, look, I bathed every day. See, smell. <laughs> That's not going to fly, is it? 
No, because that's not what we mean by cleansing. But does this washing point to something? And the answer is yes. Now, remember, we've told you to file First Peter? Bring that back out. I want to read it again. Corresponding to that, the work of Christ, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. My salvation, my appeal for righteousness is not in my cleaning myself. It's my calling out to Christ to cleanse me. My calling out to the one who is able to save, the one who is above the powers of this world, the one who is above all authority that is in heaven, the one who is above and beyond and sits for the work of his people at the right hand of God. My appeal is to him to wash me and make me clean. That's what this is supposed to symbolize. The priest isn't good because he washed his hands. The priest is good because God has made him good. And he washes his hands and cleanses himself as an appeal to God. Why is it doing that? Sorry, guys. As an appeal to God so that, not that, this look, Lord, I have washed my hands. I shall enter into the tent for I am clean. No, I have washed as you have commanded. Lord, I wish to enter the tent because you have made me clean. There's a difference between those two. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the same thing as the, this is the one everybody always gets mad at me over. Well, nobody gets mad at me over about it, but husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why should I love my wife, God? So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. See, we always, get, we always get them in the wives submit to your husbands. We always forget the husbands love your wives part. Why? Because my goal is holiness for me and for those that are around me. Why? Because why, why, do, we be, why do we baptize? Because it's symbolic. Buried with him in death, raised to walk in the newness of life. It's symbolic of the work that Christ has done. A change of heart a renewing of mind, a cleaning of conscience so that you may walk anew. That's the goal. And the great reminder is, how often are we going to mess that up? A lot. lot. And yet, just as the smoke goes up perpetually, my prayers can go up perpetually. And just as God has never departed from Israel in the wilderness, Christ has never departed from the people for whom he has died. So when I find myself in the wrong place, I recognize that my prayers go up and his intercession has not ceased and I can be renewed. I can be set back on the path. 1 Corinthians 6, another great reminder. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. You want to talk about a list. This is a list. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the punchline. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. It's not me that makes me clean. It's Christ. It's not my works that make me clean. It's Christ's accomplishment. And it's not my prayers that are good. It is his work interceding before God on my behalf that is good and right and holy. So in other words, let's summarize. Before you meet with God, you'd best do what? Be cleansed. Not wash my hands, but wash my soul. Cleanse me from my iniquities. Wash me, as David said, and I will be clean. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, excuse me, take for yourselves the finest of spices, of flowing myrrh, 500 shekels and of fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250. I like how God doesn't assume they can do math. Remember, we've talked about how, how often, you know, God gets all the details. So take 500 of this and take half as much of that, 250, just in case you need <laughs> They didn't have the abacus thing. They didn't have that thing you had when you were in preschool and you start sliding, you know. (laughs) Half as much, 250, and of fragrant cane, 250, and of cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, a hen. 
You shall make of these things a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a, perf- of a perfumer. You say that, of a perfumer. Say that three times fast. It shall be a holy anointing oil. All right. This is a vat of stuff. I, I, because, you, I, because I just know you guys have the shekel of the sanctuary like memorized as a conversion chart. Yeah, yeah, neither do I. I'm like, Google, how much is the shekel? Yeah, exactly. You start looking for the charts in the back of your Bible. 500 shekels is 12 pounds. So if I did my math right, and no promises here because I didn't have my little thing. This is 36 pounds of spices in uh, a hin of oil because you, get, you guys do that when you cook all the time, right? You need a dash of this, a hin of that. No, no, exactly. Is about a gallon and a half. I think, I think the exact conversion is a little over four liters. So this is 36 pounds of spices mixed up into a gallon and a half of oil. And for reasons that I cannot comprehend, in my mind, I picture this as a big jar of the pepper flake that used to be on the tables at Pizza Hut when I was a kid. <laughs> That's just what it looks like. I don't know why it looks like that in my mind, but it does. And the, and the reason I associate that is because when I was a kid, nobody used that. So like you, you remember Pizza Hut was awesome? Like when I was a kid in the 80s, it was the coolest place. You know, they had those weird lamps that nobody used anywhere else. But they had two jars on the table, the Parmesan and what I discovered later on was red pepper flake. I never saw anybody use that, so I just assumed it was for um, aroma. I thought it was like potpourri because it looked like the stuff my grandmother kept in a jar to make her house smell good. And then I saw somebody one day as a teenager putting it on their pizza, and I'm like... How weird are you? You put the smell good stuff on your pizza. And that's when I discovered, like at 15, it was red pepper flake. I told you I'm weird. So in my mind, it looks like a big old jar of that. Now, why are we so specific about this? Well, because God wants it that way. But always remember, that's never a good answer. So so here's, here's our double rule, right? When your kids ask why, because I said so is never a good answer. It may be a necessary answer in the moment, but for the long term, that is never a good answer. You want to train children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whoever, not in the what, but in the why. Because you don't want to grow up and go, well, I, I don't know why I do this. This is just, oh, oh, this is, my, this is a pet peeve. Cameron will understand this completely. She probably already knows what I'm getting ready to say. Growing up, when we moved from New England to North Carolina, there is a southern phrase that just drives me up a wall. Be- no, no, that one I can understand. That one I've probably used. Well, that's just the way we've always done it. So what? Maybe the way you've always done it is stupid. <laughs> Have we ever thought of that? I don't care if that's the... See, you're laughing because you've heard someone say that to you. Have- yes. Why do you do it like that? I don't know. <laughs> And it goes for everything. Why do we drive like this? That's the way we've always done this. Why do we make biscuits like that? Because that's the way we've always done it. Look, sometimes the way we've always done it is good. But you know what I still want? I want to know why that's the way that we've always done it. Same thing with God. Well, God told me to. Okay, that's the what. You know what I want? The why. Because I want you to impart to the people that you're making disciples to why God has commanded you to do this. Because then you will understand it, you will internalize it, and here's the beauty of this. This is the part we overlook. By understanding the why of God's command, I will appreciate his wisdom, his mercy, and his provision all the more. As I pray all the time, when we do those things, I will love him more. The more that I love him, the more that I will do what? I will serve him and be an obedient child. So understanding the why is vitally important. The same thing goes here. We're teaching something to the priest. We're going to make a vat of this stuff according to a specific proportion, and we're almost there. With it, you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the laver and its stand. You shall also consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them shall be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they, they, that they may minister as priests to me. So to summarize that, we are going to take this vat of smell good stuff and we're going to put it on what? Everything Everything and every one. 
Aaron and his sons, the only ones who are going in, before they go in, you know, we're getting the paint roller out. me like, turn around, arms up. There you go. Next. You know, if you got the Wagner power painter, you're good. Yeah, we're going to put it on everything. And I mean, the spoons, the utensils, the snuffers, the, the, everything, everything. Now, there's multiple reasons for this. Practically, I mean, what's going on at the tabernacle and inside the Holy of Holies? We're sacrificing what, mostly? Animals. We're killing things and smearing their blood where? Aaron's got blood on him. His sons have blood on him. The altar has bloods. The, the bloods. There's crypts apparently too. I'm sorry. <laughs> every, every once in a while my brain just takes a left turn. I mean, the horns of the altar, the, the incense burning, everything's got some blood on it somewhere. You're wading around in it. <sighs> Years ago, um, after my mother passed, we inherited this German Shepherd Belgian Malinois mix that only listened to her, and it ended up having to go to, um, he ended up having to go to a, a friend of my mother's because he would sort of listen to the friend. He wouldn't listen to us at all. But this dog kept trying to run out the door every time you opened it because, you know, a German Shepherd never tries to run out the door as soon as you open it. I am convinced to this day that if you took a German Shepherd to the gates of hell and opened them, he would race you to try to get in first. I grew up with German Shepherds. They are just, they just, I'm going. And this dog tried to run out the door on Cameron one day. And she didn't realize it. And we had this heavy screen door, like one of those storm screen doors, like one inch metal. And she didn't notice and the door was shutting and the dog ran through. And when it did, the door clipped the end of his tail. Literally took like an inch and a half off the tip of his tail. Well, she opened the door, he yelped, ran back in, and then ran from the front of the house to the back of the house to go to the back door with his tail wagging back and forth Oh my goodness, there was blood on the floor, there was blood on the couch, there was blood on the walls, there was blood on the ceiling and the ceiling fans. And you know, blood has a, a scent to it, that, the iron, the metallic smell, it was weeks of scrubbing walls, scrubbing floors, you couldn't get the smell out. Here's a practical reason why you would want to slather everyone and everything with the vat of Pizza Hut Smell Good stuff. That's what I'm just calling it, okay? I've just decided. You want to, because it's practically, it's better. If I'd had some of this, because believe me, we were, we're spraying the Febreze for the air. We were spraying the Febreze for the carpet. We were, we were bleaching, and I mean, it was, it was, it, I'm, I'm not kidding. It was weeks, and all of a sudden, you kind of walked in the house one day, and it was like, and it didn't help. It was January in the western part of North Carolina, so you couldn't open the windows and cool off. It was 20 degrees outside, and about, I think it was about March or so, it warmed up enough we could open windows and air out, and it was like, it doesn't smell like Finn's blood anymore. Yay! So practically, there's a good reason here. Symbolically, there's a better reason, though. We, talk, we talked about memory trigger. Because I joke, if you give, me, you give me the scent of blood today, you know what I can picture? That whole story, that dog running through where the streak, because it, it actually went in on streaks, like somebody like those abstract paintings. You know, like parents, your kids are grown 10, 15, 20 years. You know what a diaper smells like? You walk in public and somebody's got a kid that needs to be changed. You're like, that one. Because you just know. If you've ever had a sick pet, you know that's, you know the smell of certain things. We lived out in the middle of nowhere for a while. We had a dog that kept getting worms. And we always knew when she got them. Because all of a sudden you come in the house one day and you're like, she's got worms again. You could smell it. It's a trigger for who you are, where you've been, what you've experienced. The tabernacle, the work of God amongst the people of Israel is going to smell like something. The priest is going to smell like it. The tabernacle is going to smell like it. When the wind blows a certain way in camp, one group is going to smell it. You know what they're going to be reminded of? That's the tabernacle. I went to high school in a town that had a paper mill. Wind comes the right way. Oh, paper mill. It does, and you just, you just know it. And what the thing you can bet, Israel's going to experience this in the best possible way because the tabernacle is going to be in the center of camp with Israel around. So as the wind shifts and moves, different parts are going to occasionally experience what? That's, that's God. That's the smell of God. We're going to have the hearing of the word as we're taught. We're going to have the seeing of the offering of the smoke. We're going to experience the teaching. We're going to explain, and we're also going to... Smell 
what God is like. Hebrews 12, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What does a fire burn? What does God affect? That's what we mean here. Israel, as they're traveling, is going to be taught of God in every way, shape, form, and fashion. They're going to see him. They're going to hear his word. They're going to experience the blessings of of God as his work. They're going to have the riches and the crops when they get to the land, and they're going to smell what God smells like. And there's an application here, Christian. Would you have thought of this? Would you be like, I want my tabernacle to smell like something? Of course you wouldn't. You're a human. But what detail has God left out? That's why he's specific. Isaiah 43. Thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I, the Lord your God, am holy, the Holy One of Israel, and I am your Savior. That's the lesson, and it is to be taught everywhere that they go. And by the way, it's going to be taught in a specific way. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same proportions. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever shall mix it any lay, I'm sorry, whoever shall mix any like it, or whoever puts any of it on a layman, shall be cut off from his people. In other words, the tabernacle, the priests of the tabernacle will have a smell. What else will have that smell? Nothing. Nothing. Because God is separate from the sinful world. God is better than the sinful world, and nothing else in this sinful world is like God. Hmm. I wonder if there's a New Testament corollary. 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. That matters. Nothing else will smell like God's work. Nothing else will smell like the worship of God in the camp because nothing else is capable of doing what God does. And the Lord said to Moses, take for yourself spices, <sighs> stockti. I look up how to say these and I still mess them up. I spent Monday, half of Monday, stacked, stock, and I still can't get it. <sighs> I looked it up and I don't remember. How, how brilliant am I? You should, you'd think I would write these things down. <sighs> Annika, galbanum, spices with pure frankincense. There shall be an equal part of each. With it you shall make incense, a perfume, the work of a perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it very fine and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. The incense which you make you shall not make in the same proportion for yourselves. It shall be holy for you for the Lord. Whoever shall make any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people." Same rules apply to the stuff you make a powder out of. Now, pop quiz. What makes all of these things holy? That was one of those repeated things, right? It shall be holy. Aaron and his sons shall be holy. You can't use it on the other people because it's to be holy. And when we smather this oil on everything, that makes everything that it's touched holy. What makes it holy? God does. Now, we've slathered the tabernacle. We've got the smell. It's in your nostrils. It's in my nostrils. It's in Aaron's nostrils. Aaron is in Aaron's own nostrils. Hey, this beats the smell of blood, right? With all of this holy work of God, how often does Aaron enter into the presence of God? Once a year. And before he does it, what must he do? He's got to wash. He's got to offer the daily sacrifice. He's got to burn the incense. He's got to trim all of that. And then he still has to offer a special sacrifice on behalf of him so that he can then go in to offer special sacrifice on behalf of the people. All of this work, this jumping around, standing on our heads, making everything smell right, killing the animals, and I get to stand before God, one guy, once a year. And we've talked about this because they're priests. They are not the 
priest, Christian. This is how Christ's work is better. Because all of this is pointing forward. The priest has to do all of this to stand in God's presence once. Christ and his accomplished work stands in God's presence eternally. Eternally. We have to light the incense so we can be reminded that the smoke goes up so that the prayers of the priests on our behalf are good. Christ's prayers on my behalf are good eternally, always. The Israelite is hoping that as I trust in God and that as I offer all of these things and as I have kept the faith for all of these things that the priest has offered good sacrifice and God will redeem me. But I say all that like that because at the end of the day when you live like that, what are you really thinking? Are you safe? Are you secure? Depends. You might be. God bless you. Christian, we have a better sacrifice. We have a better priest. We have a better prayer. We have a better everything. We have no doubt because Christ has paved a way. And all of these things that are pointing are pointing to him and his work, to his accomplishment, so that as I see the fulfillments come, I can recognize that everything God has promised has come to pass, and everything that he has promised that has not come to pass will, because there is no doubt. We talk about this every time we partake of the supper. We look back, and we celebrate the work of Christ. But Christian, the supper is a reminder to also look forward, because you're not there yet. You wish you were, but you're not. And so what do you do? You persevere. Why? Because God's empowered me. Why else? Because I know what awaits me, that it is good, that I have a security, because I have the high priest who has offered the sacrifice that has cleansed all my sins. Jude puts it this way, one of my favorite books. Now to him, talking about Christ, who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. The priest doesn't stand blameless with great joy. The priest stands quickly, hurriedly, trying to get in and get out. Not us, Christian. We stand blameless, rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. That's what Christ accomplishes. Joy, salvation, standing, righteousness, everything Israel would long for, everything humanity has longed for since the garden, delivered in Christ. And this is why you have a Holy Spirit granted to you. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who ensures. He's the one who becomes the consuming fire. I don't need to have an incense burning in my house. I have a Holy Spirit going, tink, 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 don't do that. Be reminded that God is all and is all and has been and will be. Because he has fulfilled everything that he has promised and he has forgotten none of his people. Let's pray.